And he just tired me out listening to that. <laughs> you okay, huh? <laughs> well, I want to share a message tonight entitled uh, Strong Love for the Brethren, 1 John chapter 3. I was going to preach this message two weeks ago on a Wednesday night, and then I was sick, couldn't do it, and I was going to do it last Wednesday night. And we had snow, I had to cancel church. I told the Lord, I said, well, I get the message, you don't want me to do this on Wednesday. So I'll do it Sunday night, <laughs> amen. Uh, strong love for the brethren, 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading in verse 11. It says, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whoso hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother hath need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful to come before you tonight and uh, Lord, we're just grateful that we've been able to sing songs of praise and acknowledging the, the glories of heaven, uh, the sureness that we're saved and we're going to heaven. And uh, Lord, we're just thankful now to have the Bible in front of us and be able to look at some passages of Scripture to help us to, to remind ourselves and to understand in a better way uh, how we ought to love one another. And uh, God, I'm thankful that you loved us when we were sinners. And I'm thankful that Jesus died for us when we were ungodly and unholy and rebellion against God. You still sent your son in this world to die for us. And so, God, I pray that love that you have shown us through the sacrifice of Christ may be present and evident in our own lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verse is verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Uh, he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. The verses I read here, as far as John is speaking about our love for God and love for one another, I mean, they're pretty strong verses. Uh, and he, I mean, he's pretty direct in dealing with it. The beginning message that we received from God is that we should love one another. And he identifies the fact not like Cain and his brother. Uh, able and sometimes I think we kind of approach life and our relationships as believers from that vantage point and he said Cain was of that wicked one and because he hated his brother because his brother was righteous and Cain was wicked and and uh, wait a minute wait a minute we can't we can't judge one another we can't condemn one another and we can't attack one another uh, because of the fact that we want to do what's wrong and uh, we ought to love uh, one another 
and uh, he suffered the consequences of the judgment of God upon him. And certainly he identifies here that the demonstration of God's love for us was Christ laid down his life for us. Also, it reminds us that if we see our brother or sister in Christ in need and we withhold the opportunities to meet that need in their life, uh, we're not demonstrating the love of Christ. And we're not to say we love one another in words only, but we're supposed to love one another in our deeds, in our actions. And love is more than just saying something. It's, it's actual action on the part of every individual who has received the love of Christ that we might be able to love one another also. So strong love for the brethren. Charles Spurgeon said this. I don't think I put this on the slide because it's a little lengthy. If you listen up, you'll catch it. It says, Old men and brethren, what would this heart feel if I could but believe that there were come uh, some among you who would go home and pray for revival, men whose faith is large enough and their love fiery enough to lead them from this moment to exercise unceasing intercessions that God would appear among us and do wondrous things here as in the times of former generations. His heart's desire was that the brethren would have a fiery love a fiery love that would drive them to their knees to intercede on behalf of others. Not just a love for the brethren, but a love for the lost. And realizing that through the church of Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to be able to express our love and service one towards another and express our love for the lost. Jesus said in Matthew 16 and 18, Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's been amazing to watch uh, over the last 35 years of being a pastor, being a Christian, uh, just seeing the trends and the changes that go on in what we call the church and what we call Christianity. And the, and the problem is over the years, there, there has been a disdainful type of spirit towards the church. Uh, you read statistics and you look at trends in, in American society and uh, all these studies show that, you know, this, this disdain and this departure and moving away from the local church. The reality is Jesus is the one who said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And what has happened, that is decline, it developed a decline in our exercising of our love towards the brethren. And because people basically have an attitude towards the church, and what is the church? It's not some building. The church is people. And it's brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when you say you're upset with the church or you're angry at the church, you're saying you're upset and angry with people. And when you say, I don't love the church, you're saying you don't love people. But yet Christ has commanded us that we ought to love one another. And John has revealed here uh, the serious uh, relationship that we ought to have in having a love one for another. An old English proverb says this, faults are thick where love is thin. And you think about that. You know, faults are thick. People, people are quick to find faults. But love covers a multitude of sins. And we're willing to look at faults, and faults become prevalent and become the primary thing in the body of Christ 
when our love is thin. And we need to have a deep, deep love for one another that enables us to deal with the faults. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, gossip about him. No, it doesn't say that. It says, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Because I'm just a man, that's all I am, just like you. You're just a woman, just like any other woman in this church. And we all have our faults, but it's the love for the brethren that God has so commanded us to have that enables us to deal with the conflicts, the disagreements, the issues in life, the faults that one of us, one or another may have. So we need a strong love for the brethren because a strong love for the brethren will ignite a fire of revival in the church. I'll tell you one thing right now. When people come into church and they visit the church, they can tell when they walk into a church whether it's cold or whether it's hot. Uh, people, people can tell when they walk in the church what the feeling is and what the spirit is within that church of whether they want to come back or not because they sense whether there's tension or there's uh, ups, you know, fights in the church or whether there's divisions in the church, they pick up on it real quick. I remember going to a, a leadership conference years ago, and they were just dealing with church growth and trying to make your church uh, well, presentable to the unsaved as people come in. People want to be comfortable or whatever. But they said this, when somebody pulls into our parking lot, and when they pull in, they won't be able to see where they're going out there right now, but anyway... <laughs> We need to put some lights out there like an airplane strip to guide them where they need to park. And uh, I put a flashing light up there and so they know this is where you won't run over somebody. But anyway, when they pull in the parking lot, from the time they pull in the parking lot to the time they get out of their car and walk into the church, and with the first five minutes they're in the church door, before they ever get in here, they've already made their mind up whether they're coming back to church or not. And it's based on the visibility of being able to be mobile going through the church and on the spirit of the people they come in contact with. And so before the preacher ever gets to preach a message, he can be a dynamic speaker like me. But no, <laughs> pride. Oh. The preacher can be a dynamic preacher. But listen, the reality is, before he even gets to open up the word of God, the people have already made up a decision whether they're going to come back or not based on what is the demonstration of love among the brethren. And I think sometimes we forget that. And so we need to just leave our grievances home. Uh, leave them on your prayer cloth at home, amen? And uh, you need to give it, put it under the blood, and you need to have a spirit of love one for another. There shouldn't be any griping or complaining about each other in the church. There shouldn't be any signs of dis disgust or uh, uh, ungratefulness in our spirit in the church because of the fact we are commanded to love one another, and we should at least be an example to somebody that comes into our church. Uh, you know, my wife and I, when we go on vacation, I really hate going on vacation. It's not because I like to work all the time, although work is fun. Uh, but I, I, I hate going on vacation because you always have to find a church to go to. Uh, 
And, uh, and some churches we walk into on vacation, and I'll tell you, they're just as cold as ice. Cold as ice. You can sense that there's not much love in that church. I always get tickled, and I go in, and I talk to somebody in the church, and and uh, talk to the pastor or whatever, and they're like, oh, where are you from? And I go, oh, I pastor in, in, in New Jersey. I pastor Ocean Game Baptist Church. How quickly the conversation turns cold when they find out I'm a pastor. I feel like saying, wearing a sign. I'm not looking for a church, so you don't have to be afraid of me coming to church today. I just want to worship today. Where, where's the love for the brethren? I'm telling you, folks, we, got, we, have, we have problems in this issue of how to relate to one another, how to show love one towards another. And it's just, it's alarming to me to see the trends that are going on. And John says, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. And he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. There is no life in hate. There's only death in hate. And so we must be strong in our love for the brethren. So let's think of three things tonight. Notice we, have to, we should love sincerely. In uh, verse 14, we know that we have passed from, left life, uh, from death to life because we love the brethren. It is speaking from a sincere vantage point. Uh, not, uh, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Go ahead and say that. But 1 Peter 1.22 says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, and here it is, un, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Now let's take that verse apart a little bit and think about what Peter is saying here in 1 Peter 1.22 He's saying this, well, wait a minute, you need to have an unfeigned love. The word unfeigned means to be uh, sincere. It means to be without hypocrisy. And so we're not talking about pretending that you love each other. It's not talking about walking in the church and putting on your Baptist smiley face on Sunday morning. It's talking about when we come in the church, when we gather together, we're real that we do love one another and are concerned about one another. So he says that we have an unfeigned spirit about us in our love one for another. And he says that we're to love each other with a pure heart fervently. So that's energy. That, that means there's some movement. There's some action in this thing of showing loved ones towards another. And it's not a passive type of relationship. It's an aggressively fire-felt experience of really, truly being concerned about and connected with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's more than a passing, hello, how you doing, or how did it go this week? It's more than that. It goes deeper than that. And so we need to have an unfeigned love for the brethren that is a pure heart fervently. So first of all, we need to think of the character of love. Over in, we're going to come back here in John, but over in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we have to consider the character of love. And the world has redefined every word that's a good word in our vocabulary. And the world has corrupted every character trait of what life is all about. 
But if we want to know what love is, and we want to understand how to love one another, and want to know the concept of the character of the love of God that he has given to us, then we have to look at the scriptures. And in Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 says, Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. And so notice the character of love, first of all, is it deals with dissimulation. It says without dissimulation. What does that mean? It just means to be sincere. It means to be without hypocrisy. Uh, dissimulation is a word that carries with it this type of play acting or putting on a pretense. And uh, we're just supposed to be sincerely uh, committed one towards another, uh, not love, doing things for one another with ulterior motives. But rather, love is sacrificial. It's sincere. And it's not hypocritical. And so we're supposed to love each other that way. Notice in the text, in verse 9, he continues to say, abhor that which evil, abhor that which is evil. The word abhor there, the only place in the Bible this, the Greek word for abhor here that is used is used right here in this verse. And the word means to have a horror of. So he, he's saying this, we need to love without any type of hypocrisy or pretense, and we ought to be scared to death that that possibly could take place. We need to abhor that which is evil. You know, Cain, God abhorred the unlovely conduct of Cain and judging Cain because of the fact that he murdered his brother. And so we ought to abhor the love that is not characterized after the person and the character of Christ. And so we abhor that which is evil. And uh, we, it, we ought to really despise in our heart somebody that is unloving and uncaring and unwilling to reach out to others and express the love of Christ to them. He's saying you ought to be scared to death of that. Why? Because you don't want to become that way. And I've seen people over the years, they say, well, you know, there's no sense in acting kind or being loving or whatever, so-and-so. I don't get that back from other people. It's not about what you get back. It's about what you give. Give and it shall be given unto you. You don't live your life in a spirit of hypocrisy with, a, with an ulterior motive of getting something back because you abhor that. You abhor that which is evil. And then he says in verse 9, cleave to that which is good. And so the cleave means to be fastened together. It literally carries the idea of being glued together. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. He's glued to his wife. He's committed to his wife uh, for the rest of his life. And so this matter of loving one another, a character trait of the love of God and the love that we ought to have for one another, is that we are connected together in Christ. The love of Christ constraineth us. It means to bind us together. And because of the love of Christ that's in us, it enables us to be glued and committed one towards another. It's not a matter of, oh, okay, I love you today, but tomorrow I, don't, I hate you. Uh, you know, I'll be a help, I'll be an encouragement to you today, but, you know, don't expect that all the time. You know, just you have to understand, we're from New Jersey, so we don't act that way, you know. <laughs> No, we're to cleave one towards another. If Christ said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell should not prevail against it, and the church is made up of people, and we're supposed to love the people in there, that doesn't stand to reason that we're supposed to be committed to the local church. 
We're supposed to cleave to the local church, which is the local assembly, the local body of believers. And so we're to cleave to that which is good. And so the character of love. We see also in verse 10 of Romans 12, we see the conduct of love. In uh, verse 10, it says, Be kindly affectionate one towards another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. And so here's the conduct of love, how we're to act towards one another or respond to one another. First of all, he says, kindly affectionate. Kindly affectionate means to have a mutual love as a parent to a child or a husband to his wife. Be kindly affectionate towards one another. And so that, that means, you know, a husband's supposed to love his wife, and uh, he's supposed to give himself for his wife, as Christ gave himself for the church. So if we're supposed to be kindly affectionate one towards another, that means we have a mutual commitment one towards another that we're not going to leave each other hanging. We're going to be there for each other. Uh, as a parent to a child, a parent nurtures the child. And so if I have a love for the brethren, being kindly affectionate, it means I'm going to express my emotions and my concern for you in a way that I might be able to nurture you in your life and your walk with Christ because the conduct of love is being kindly affectionate, being mutual in our love one towards another. As a child responds to the parent, so we respond to others in the church as they respond to us in our need. And certainly as a husband and a wife respond to each other as they express love one towards another, that's how we're supposed to respond to each other in the body of Christ. And we're to be kindly affectionate. Notice in verse 10, he also says, uh, kindly affectionate one with another with brotherly love in honor. The word honor, honor is an interesting word because honor means to place a great value on something. And so what we need to do is place a value on our relationships as brothers and sisters in Christ. When people aren't faithful to church, that shows they simply do not place a value on their relationships with people in the church. Because if, if your relationship in the church was of great value, you would embrace that and be involved in every aspect that you could to be with those that are in the church. But if you say, well, you know, I'm not going to be in church. I'm going to miss church. I'm not going to be there. Well, okay, church is okay if, you know, if I feel like going today. You have actually absolutely put no value on relationships that should be building in expressing love one towards another. And then people will turn around and they'll say, well, you know, they're half the time they're not in church and they're not involved in whatever's going on or whatever. And the next thing you know, they say, well, I just don't feel like I belong. Well, I guess not. You haven't honored others. You haven't given others an opportunity to honor you. You have not created an environment where you can demonstrate that there is value in your relationships with others, so I guess you wouldn't feel like you're a part of the church. And so we're supposed to be kindly affectionate one towards another, and we're to honor one another, put great value 
on the relationship. I'm going to tell you right now, if it wasn't for the church of Jesus Christ, and I mean, I got saved in South Jersey. I was in Pontiac, Michigan. I started a church. We, would, we went back home when we were between churches. I'm telling you, the church was a refuge for us. And it hasn't, listen, the churches that we've been involved in hasn't always been kind. But I'll tell you, it's been a refuge to us because of the fact that the church is the body of Christ. It is the bride of Christ. And I put great value on the relationships that I have within the body of Christ. I don't take it lightly that we have friendships and relationships in this church. I don't look at myself as just being, as I've had people accuse me, oh, you just think you're some big CEO. No, I'm not any CEO. I, can't even, I don't even know what that means. I have to look it up on internet and find out, you know. And, uh, uh, and no, no, I'm the pastor. I'm responsible to teach the word of God. Uh, God's given me the obligation and responsibility to oversee the flock of God, to try to protect the people of God. But wait a minute, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. When, when Cornelius fell down at the feet of Peter, Peter said, stand up, I'm but a man also. And realize this, there is great value that is experienced by us loving one another. Notice he goes on to say here in verse 10, in honor preferring one another. This is a very interesting word, the word preferring, because it means to be a leader. Preferring one another it means somebody takes the lead. Well, I'll be friendly if people will be friendly to me. Well, I've had people come in <laughs> You know, I've had people over the years, well, nobody talks to me in church. I usually look at them and say, well, who do you talk to? If you really want people to talk to you, then talk to somebody. Build relationships. Uh, preferring one another. Somebody needs to take the lead in developing the relationships that we enjoy as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, a, listen, a church can be uh, identified as a church that is sincere in their love when people come in the church and they see people taking the initiative to go out of their way to talk to someone or to greet a visitor or to introduce themselves to someone that is new or express concern because you've been praying for somebody that is on the prayer list and you see them come in the church and you go over and you, you initiate. You take the leadership to initiate the conversation to show that you love them. And so preferring one to another. So we have the conduct, the character of love, the conduct of love. We also see the conscious uh, of love, being conscious of love. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse uh, 3, Oh, uh, where am I at here? Here we go. It says, giving not, Paul says, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Then he goes on in verse 4, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in, in much patience, as ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings and fastings, by pureness, 
by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned. Conscious of love is being aware of the fact that I should not be living my life in a way that I can be offensive or I'm deliberately being offensive in the ministry of Christ because it involves people that we're supposed to be loving. And so whether you're going through stripes or allegations or you're going through difficulties or imprisonments or laborings or whatever, Paul says, wait a minute, we, by the Holy Ghost, relate one towards another with love that's unfeigned. It's not hypocritical. And so we're to love one another. Proverbs 15, 23 says, A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and in words spoken in due season, how good it is. Our words can either be words that bring healing, or our words can be words that bring harm and rip apart someone, tear someone down. And so I want to be conscious of what love is and how I'm supposed to respond to others in love. And I want to make sure that whether the problem, whatever the issue is, whatever we're going through, whatever we have to deal with, we still must have the Holy Ghost love in us that is completely unfeigned. It's not hypocritical. Henry Ward Beecher, I don't know if I put that up. Did I put that on? I did. Great. Henry Ward Beecher said this, it is one of the severest tests of friendship to tell your friend his faults. Ooh, that gets touchy. So, he goes on, so to love a man that you cannot bear to see a stain upon and to speak painful truths through loving words, that is friendship. You know, there are times when you talk about loving the brethren, there are times when you have to be honest with somebody. And you have to tell them exactly what's going on. I remember, I don't know, several years ago, I had someone come into my office and they were talking to me about something. And I told them, I said, look, I'm going to tell you right now, before you go any farther, I said, I will be completely honest with you. And he went through this whole situation, and I told him, I said, you're wrong. You're out of line. You need to get these things here straightened out in your life so that you can straighten out your relationships with others that are falling apart because you're the one that's wrong. And I'm thankful that brother in Christ took it in the right way. And he got some things right, and hallelujah, straightened out a few things in his life. And so, listen, when a brother comes to you, a sister comes to you in Christ with loving words, not condescending words, not judgmental attitude, but comes with loving words with a spirit of grace in their hearts because they love you and they need to talk to you about something that is wrong, be ready and willing to receive the instruction. Because the reality is, all of us need some instruction sometimes. We do. So we need to love sincerely. In our verse 14, we need to love surrenderedly. Why? Because if you surrender, what I mean by that, of course, love sincerely means without hypocrisy. But loving surrenderedly is that we give ourselves to each other. 
And when we give ourselves to each other, it enables us to have unity that is enjoyed. In Acts chapter 2, it's amazing to go through the book of Acts in the early church. Because in Acts chapter 2, in verse 1, it says that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They could only be in one accord in one place unless they were willing to surrender to each other. And you go down to Acts chapter 2 and verse uh, 41, it says, Then they gladly received his word, were baptized, and the same were added unto about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and breaking of bread, and in prayer. So there was unity within the body of Christ uh, and because of the love they had for each other. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 32, it says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And so they had one heart and they had one soul. Over the years, I've seen people come into church. And, uh, and I'm not talking about letting every wind of doctrine to come into the church. I know that we have to protect against false doctrine. But it always tickles me how you get somebody to come into the church that has an agenda. And they have an agenda and they come in and they start going behind the scenes and start work their agenda. And that's wolves in sheep's clothing. And that has to be dealt with, and it has to be dealt with sharply. Why? So that we can protect the brethren, so that we can have a love for one another, and we need to protect one another when those things come about. So there has to be unity in the church, and that's enjoyed by us surrendering to one another and serving one another. So it, unity enjoyed. Ministry exercised. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're not going to be able to get rid of through all this whole thing, so I'll just give you the verses and you can look them up later. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 25, the Apostle Paul deals with this matter. He says that there should be no schism, which means division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, and we be doing probably in a couple of weeks from now a message on racism. And uh, the reality is that there's not supposed to be any schisms or any divisions in the church for any reason. doesn't matter what your justification may be about. And uh, there are different backgrounds, there are different race, there are different nationality, there are different income, they're different socially. It doesn't matter. We are one in Christ. And because we're one in Christ, there are ministry opportunities that are exercised in the body of Christ because we love one another. We don't allow divisions to come in the body. So ministry exercised. Harmony that is experienced. Here's a good verse for you. Colossians 3, 10 through 17 deals with the harmony in the church because of being willing to surrender one towards another because we love each other. Yeah, C.S. Lewis said this, Christian love, either towards God or towards man, is an affair of the will. When you, when you talk about loving each other, that means you're willing to surrender to each other. The love of God, say, I love the Lord. I love the Lord because the will, I surrender my will to God. I surrender to him. This is how we get saved. 
never not our will, it's God's will, and he's not willing that any should perish, and so he loves me. Christ came into this world to save me. He did that by willfully surrendering himself to the love of the Father for man who's sinful. And so when we talk about showing love ones towards another, it is being surrendered to one another, and it's an exercise of your will. You choose, listen, you choose whether you're going to love somebody or not. You choose whether you're going to care for others or not. It is a product of your will. And so we need to love sincerely. We need to love surrenderedly. And then we need to love sacrificially. Back in our text, John said hereby in verse 16, perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren sacrificially. And uh, what is that? First of all, it's a life of service. In Matthew 20, 28, Jesus said that the Son of Man came not to uh, be ministered unto, but to minister. It's a life of service. And uh, you're talking about loving the brethren. We serve one another. There are times when you're going to have needs that will be necessary to be met by the brethren, brethren in the church. There are times when others have needs that you can meet that need. And so it's a life of service uh, to one, towards one another. This, this mindset nowadays that people come into the church and they evaluate and assess the church based on whether the church is going to meet all their needs that they feel they have. Or these are all the things that my expectations are that the church should do for me. That is not scriptural, and it is not Christianity. Christianity is saying, here I'm surrendering my life and sacrificing of my time, my talent, my money, whatever it is, to be able to help the brethren because we're all a part of the family of God. So we have a life of service. We have a life of purity. Here you're going to write down Ephesians 5, 1 through 5. And uh, Paul deals with this matter of being pure in our, in our relationships one with another. It's also a life of ministry. Paul talks about in Romans chapter 16 and verse 3 and 4 about those who were helpful in the ministry with him. And he recognizes them and acknowledges their life and ministry. And the life of ministry here is five things that being letting love manifest itself, and it's in our text where we read in 1 John 3, letting love manifest itself, this is what you experience. And first of all, you experience joy. There is joy in serving Jesus. We sing that song all the time. You get joy. There's family. Paul talks about a relationship that we have, being a part of the family of God. And, you know, there's many people. There's, there's people that, you know, young kids and uh, adults that are fatherless. Uh, God is a father to the fatherless. Pure religion undefiled is the what? Visit the widows. And we're supposed to care for the children. Uh, and so there is family. There is a benefit of being able to sacrifice our life for Christ because we are connected as a family. Not only that, but there's fellowship. In Philippians chapter 2, in verse 24, Paul talks about desiring to be with the believers in Philippi so that he could enjoy the fellowship together. There's healing that takes place. 
in uh, Philippians chapter 2. I'm thankful that within the body of Christ, those that are hurting can be ministered to and can experience healing. And then there's hospitality. Paul deals with that as far as we're to be hospitable one towards another. And it's all because of the fact, yes, it takes time, and yes, it may take money, and yes, it'll be take some effort, but wait a minute, that's what a life of ministry is. It's sacrificial. Because we love you, because we love one another, we're willing to sacrifice whatever we have to be a help to others. Robert C. Chapman said this, The strength of love is shown in great things. The tenderness of love in the little things. See, we're we're kind of like the disciples. We always want some big thing to happen. We want to experience some magnificent thing in our life. But wait a minute, it's the little things that you do. The little things of showing gratitude. The little things of showing your care or reminding somebody you're praying for them or meeting with them and and sitting down and and lifting them up before the throne of grace. It's the little things that shows the tenderness of love. John Piper said this, genuine love is so contrary to human nature that its presence bears witness to an extraordinary power. And so, listen, real, genuine love that I'm talking about tonight, as John writes about that we have for each other, it's going to take the power of God to do it. And the reason it is, we're just too difficult to get along with. <laughs> Let's just be honest about it. You know, we all have our little quirks. We all have our weird things that we think are important. And, and we, we, we just act really ridiculous sometimes. We're out of control. And, and so, apart from the divine power of God moving in our life, it's difficult to try to fulfill this concept that we're supposed to love one another. And so God's grace will help us to do so. Notice, first of all, in this matter of conclusion here, uh, there is a creative awareness of love. John is just trying to create, in a creative way, help the believers understand the type of love he's talking about because he uses Cain as an example. And he's very creative in helping to get attention of the believers and saying, listen, this, you need to grasp this matter and understand what it means to really love one another. And so we can be creative in how we show love one towards another. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have to always be when you're walking in and and you're giving somebody a note or you're talking to someone or whatever. I mean, it's just little things that we can do. Be creative in making people aware of the fact that you love them. When visitors come into church, be creative in, in welcoming, welcoming them in. And uh, be careful what you say around visitors. Be careful what you say when people come in. Be careful of your conversations. Because people are going to evaluate what the church is by your conversation that you're having at the front door. As people are trying to get in and you're standing there and you're having your little clitch on Sunday morning over there uh, by the visiting uh, welcome center, whatever it's called. Amen. I'm, I'll tell you, we get, need to be creative. And God needs to give us some ideas and some fresh approaches on how we can show one another that we love each other and demonstrate to visitors that, wait a minute, we are a place that inhabits the love of God. Not only that, but conscious awareness 
of the love that God has given to us. Be conscious of the fact that, wait a minute, if we hate our brother, John says you're a murderer and you don't even have eternal life. Boy, that's very strong. Uh, the amazing thing is uh, we perceive the love of God because that he sent his son to die for us. And so be conscious and aware of the fact of what real love is when we talk about sacrificial love. If you don't make yourself aware of it, you know, that's like the guy that got married and after 30 years of marriage, his wife was thinking about divorcing him and she said, well, I, I, he doesn't say he loves me. I don't think he loves me anymore. And, and the guy's response in counseling was, wait a minute, we got married, I told you I loved you. <laughs> and that's the way we act sometimes with each other as believers in Christ. Uh, we, we might say, oh, I love you. Or I really care about you. I'm concerned about you. And then we never say another word for the next 30 years. People aren't aware of the fact of your love for one another if you don't do something to express it to each other. And so creative awareness of love, a conscious awareness of love, then a confident awareness of love. And just being confident that God loves us. And because he loves us, he demonstrated what love is, and sending us some into this world. And so be confident that if God loves you that much and he commands us to love one another, he's not going to command you to do something where you're going to fail. So allow the power of God to manifest itself in you. Andrew Murray said this, Our love to God is measured by our everyday fellowship with others and the love it displays. You can talk about loving God all you want, but people assess your love for God based on how you relate to other people. Because they can't see how you love God. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. How can, other than me saying, I love God, how can people know that I love the Lord? Well, they can know that they love the Lord because they can see how I relate to others. How, how I'm concerned for others, how I'm involved in other people's lives, how I'm willing to reach out to the lost and talk to them about Christ. And so we need to be willing to let our love for God be demonstrated through our love interaction with others. And that is on display. display. John Wesley said this. I thought this was good. He said, I want the whole Christ for my Savior the whole Bible for my book, the whole church for my fellowship, and the whole world for my mission field. <laughs> I read that. I was like, yes, I like that. But listen, I, what caught my attention was right in the middle. He said he desired the whole church for his fellowship. And folks, may I encourage you with this. As a Christian, the whole basis and, and means of enjoying fellowship is within the family of God. It's in the church. And we show love one towards another. Then I like what John R. Rice said. He said this, people go wrong in their fellowships before they go wrong in their doctrine. And the amazing thing is, if a church loses its love for each other, it is not too far behind that where they start falling into air doctrinally. If we lose a love for each other, it's not too far beyond that and some cult is enticing you to come in and be a part of it. 
we start to fail in our area of fellowship. And then we slide into the false doctrine. And so realize the importance, the significance of loving one another. John said, we're commanded. This is not something new. We're commanded that we're to love one another. And so we need to love one another sincerely. We need to love one another surrenderedly. And we need to love one another sacrificially. And I'm going to tell you, when we have that type of spirit towards one another, it changes the spirit in the church. And it changes how people will respond to us when they come to our church. Because they will walk in the door and they will sense a move of the Spirit of God because of the love of Christ that dwells in you. So we need to be strong, have a strong love for the brethren. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together tonight. And uh, Lord, we need to be reminded over and over again how we ought to respond to each other and how we ought to love one another. And uh, love is of God, for God is love. And so, Lord, help us be refreshed and renewed in our spirit. May we have a, a, a spirit of thanksgiving and gratitude uh, for each of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a unique, unique relationship because it's all in Christ. And, Lord, we need your help in thinking through ways that we can express the love of God that's in our hearts to others. And Lord, certainly give us a burden and a, and a desire and a love for the lost that need Jesus, that need to hear about Christ. And Lord, certainly the devil and the world doesn't love them, but you do, and we should. And so, Lord, help us to show forth the love of Christ in displaying how we can relate to them and reach out to them. I pray your blessing on the service and our invitation here, Lord. If there's someone here not saved, I pray they might understand how much God loves them and really, sincerely, how much we care about them, Lord, and love them when we want them to be saved. And I pray, God, they would come and receive Christ as their Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.